Welcome football fans. Buckle up for another hard-hitting episode of Player 54 Podcast, a show focused solely on the XFL. From a sunny Southwest Florida studio, here's your host, Michael Lathrop. Hello, football fans. This is episode 85, a slow but interesting week. This episode is brought to you by our friends at True Victory. If you are not perfect, if you have ever struggled, if you have ever failed, if you have ever been the underdog, if you have ever doubted yourself or been doubted by others, if you want to get better, be better, and make our world better, this is the perfect brand for you. Founded by U.S. military veterans, True Victory is a sportswear and streetwear brand dedicated to building everyday champions on and off the field. True Victory is not simply a company, they're a cause. Its purpose is to transform lives and elevate humanity through the power and unity of sports, positive stories, and serving others. They're dedicated to the game, the grind, and the globe. But most importantly, they're dedicated to you. If you want to strive for something better, while proudly showing others your determination, grit, and supporting people like yourself. Check out the True Victory Shop by simply clicking on the link provided in the show's description and notes and enter the code PLAYER54 at checkout to receive 15% off your purchase. XFL news-wise, it may have been a slow week, but we do have a few league developments to discuss. In addition, front office sports staff writer, Andrew Cohen joins the show to discuss the Walt Disney Company's CEO openness of selling an equity stake in ESPN and how it could impact its other networks, which broadcast XFL games. We also have football podcaster Jersey the King joins the show to discuss his interest in the XFL and his shows. But first, we have those developments to cover. So, let's get to it. On July 14th, the XFL held its Houston Showcase at the Village School in Houston, Texas. This was the fifth player showcase completed in 2023. Also on July 14th, XFL Senior Director of Player Administration and Officiating Operations, Russ Gielo, appeared on the MarkCast. During his conversation with host Reed Johnson, Russ provided the following timeline and information. In early October, the league will have an NFL training camp and XFL combine participants draft. In December, the league will conduct its supplemental draft prior to beginning training camps in January. On July 16th, the XFL held its Arizona showcase at Arizona State University. This was the sixth and final player showcase before the league's combine next week. As I have previously mentioned, I will now be joined by front office sports staff writer Andrew Cohen to discuss the Walt Disney Company's CEO's openness to sell a stake of ESPN and how it could impact its other networks, which broadcast XFL games. Welcome, Andrew. I appreciate you taking the time to come on to the show to discuss your article on Disney CEO openness of selling an equity stake in ESPN and how it could also potentially impact its other networks and its broadcast with the XFL. Hey, Michael. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, great to be here. It is a pleasure. I love reaching out to people from the alternative football world, the sports world, and business world. So I always love to get different takes, different viewpoints and vantage points and all those type of things. So I think it helps the listeners as well as myself 
get a better understanding of things, right? Because we all have our own biases, you know, our blinders on, so to speak. So I think it's always important to reach out to people. So having yourself allows us to kind of get a different point of view and, you know, maybe a different way of thinking. So before we dive into this particular topic, I always think it, it is very important for our listeners to get a good understanding of who it is that I brought onto the show. So if you could just kind of let them know a little bit about yourself, your background, and, you know, obviously who you work for and, and all that type of stuff. So if we could do that and then we'll kind of get right into the you know nitty gritty. Awesome. Yeah, definitely an interesting time right now in, in the media landscape. I'm a, a reporter with front office sports where we cover a uh, sports business. And that often includes uh, spring football and um, really all sports. Um, we really cover just the money moving in sports business for uh, the average sports fan, uh, we have a pretty wide audience. But before this, I was at Sports Business Journal. And before that, I was at Sport Techie. Uh, so two other sports business-oriented sites. So yeah, it's been it's been a, a, a fun ride for me to just be covering all these different leagues and teams and just where, where the money is headed in sports. Well, I appreciate that, and I'm sure my listeners do. So now we'll get into you know, the purpose of why you're here. So on July 13th, your front office sports piece mentioned the Disney CEO, Bob Iger, is open to the possibility of selling a portion of its equity in ESPN to a strategic partner, largely in part because the sports network has a plan to transition some of its content towards streaming, which obviously the rest of the world is too, right? We're seeing it with cable networks. Everything is just taking a significant shift uh, with all these cord cutters, so to speak. So this first became public, the possibility of this, because we had seen Disney hasn't been doing all that well. Wells Fargo had alluded to the possibility of this back in January. So, I mean, the fact that this is resurfacing is not really a shock to those that have heard those rumors or those possibilities before. But if anything, this really solidifies it. Knowing that Disney, who is the parent company of ESPN, ABC, all these other networks, are in the midst of a time that they need to kind of get their finances right. We see them laying off you know, a good number of notable people within ESPN. And you know that kind of sent some shockwaves here not too long ago. So knowing that this is happening, that they're looking to give up even more of their equity with this being the case 80 percent is what espn owns right because they have somebody else that owns 20 percent. how much could they possibly be looking to sell of their stake that remains and what's the likelihood we could see its other networks for an example abc and fx which just happened to also broadcast xfl games whether they'll end up being shot yeah, it's good to mention that currently they own 80% and Hearst owns 20%. And, you know, you think, how much do you ever see Hearst in ESPN coverage or ABC coverage? Like, not really ever. You know, you don't really think of that. They're kind of in the background. So with that in mind, you know, I think it's possible they it could be a similar area where they look to sell maybe a 10% stake, even 20%. 
like a, like a Hearst uh, situation, Disney could still have majority control of ESPN, which I definitely think is from from Bob's comments. They're still really high on sports, you know, throughout this media shift that we're in from linear television, people cutting the cord to streaming. The one thing that still drives numbers still and people love to follow, whether a pandemic, not pandemic, is sports. So I would say that 10% seems seems like a like a solid number to give away to to a company. Uh, you still retain 70% if if you're Disney. And as far as the other networks, ABC and, and FX, he said that they might not be core to Disney's business. And I think that's a pretty distinguishing comment to focus on. He made it clear that ESPN was not in that category that he did not consider core to Disney's business. So if I were a betting man, I I would say that it's just as likely, if not more likely for ABC and FX to be the ones to be shopped than it is ESPN. So the reason why I asked this, right, it's a good to have a starting point, a try to kind of figure out, all right, what's on the table. But when you have another entity, this potential other strategic partner coming into the realm, well, do they only want 10%? Do they only want 15%? This is where that negotiating starts to kind of come into play. Maybe Disney's thinking, well, we'll sell off another 10, maybe 15% max. But if a strategic partner that knows that Disney's kind of in this situation financially, things are, you know, the ground is shifting underneath their feet. They might see a opportunity to get exactly what it is they want out of it. Right. Disney probably does not want to give up a controlling state. It would not make any sense if that's what they are looking to do, right? But could it be 20, 25? Could Disney end up closer to that 50, 55% stake so they're holding majority? I'm I'm not saying you had the answers, Andrew. I'm just saying here we are. That yeah. Disney is obviously looking to give up. The question is they may have to give up more than they wanted once they end up sitting at the table to have this discussion. So, I mean, how far do you think Disney might have to give up to get this much-needed strategic partner? Yeah, I mean, it, it's possible that that they end up in a 50-50 situation, but just by the temperature of, of Bob's comments that I interpret, you know, they want to to be in charge of taking ESPN to direct to consumer. Like I, I think it was, he was, he was leaning towards ESPN being very much their prized possession and something that they want to keep at least majority control of. And, you know, in the companies they're looking for, it could be a gambling company who, who sees ESPN's audience as being so attractive, you know, what what kind of sports better doesn't want GSPN? So maybe they don't need to have a controlling or, or nearly twenty percent stake. Maybe it's it's so valuable that they're willing to take a ten percent or or less stake. You know, ESPN is not going to go for a a small amount. It's going to be a lot of money to to be investing in. And then there's the other side of it, which I think are could it be a a, a, another content provider to complement ESPN, like an Apple or a Disney. 
Iger said, you know, they would look for help on the content distribution side. In that case, that that's a really interesting dynamic right there. Just uh, basically, they would be buying a DSPN to help them build their audience and kind of like a bundle with what you see now with what ESPN does, or Disney does with Hulu and Disney Plus and ESPN bundling those three together. So I would guess to answer, it, it's possible that that someone else would would want to have a, a big piece of the pie. But just judging from his comments, I think they're going to try hard to uh, right the ship here. You know, it's it's not the first time ESPN has done huge layoffs, unfortunately. And it is just a, like a imagine a, a hundred years ago, all of a sudden, everyone listens to radio. Um, and then that changes to television. And here we are on a podcast. You know, it's it's similar to what's going on right now with with linear TV. You know, I don't have cable. I don't know about you, but. I just don't think people my age with all these streaming options are going to be headed towards cable at all. So it's just a giant dysfunction in the market that they have to um, account for. And they're going to try hard to write the ship without giving away majority control, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I could see it both ways, right? So I'm not trying to say I'm seeing it this way, so that's why I'm kind of pushing this question. I try to have an open mind with these things, and it does make sense. You mentioned, you know, with that word strategic as far as partner, obviously whoever would buy a piece would be a partner, but the strategic part could mean sports gambling tied into it, right? Gambling entity. It could mean somebody tied in other ties of technology, right? It, so I guess there's no one way of looking at it, which is important why these interviews happen. And we have these discussions to help people understand the reason why this is being a conversation on an XFL dedicated show is because this situation should be of significant interest to the XFL and its fans being the league's exclusive broadcast partner. It's games are airing on the family of networks, which is ABC ESPN ESPN two FX as well as being streamed on ESPN plus. Now, as we see this shift and as you said, there's a good possibility. Well, ABC may not be in our plans moving forward. FX may not be. Well, that starts to change if you're only exclusive, how many other avenues you have to get out in front of audiences. We know that that's shrinking on cable television. I get it. But at the same time, people do turn on ESPN, like you mentioned, to watch sports. It's whether you're looking for the XFL game or not, you're like, hey, you know, I'm putting on ESPN because I want sports content. I'm not putting it on, you know, some movie network or some news network to get news, you know, regular daily news i'm turning it on because i want to consume and catch up on some sports so with that being this case that's what essentially another startup a new iteration yes they're going into season two but that's what they kind of need they need to kind of keep gaining a foothold in their own market and their own brand needs to grow and that's a big part of that is espn but by potentially impacting its other avenues and getting their tentacles out there so to speak this can be a big concern. So as a member of the sports media, I'm sure you're hearing other things. You have your different contacts and sources and whatnot. How do you really see this playing out? Obviously, ESPN is probably going to, a stake of it's going to be sold. And now that he's mentioning the likelihood of ABC and FX may not be in the cards. Do we see what Wells, you know, Vargo was mentioning back in January. Do we see potentially ABC and FX sold? before the end of the year or in the early part of 2024. Yeah, that's uh, 
loaded. A great question. I would say that in this media landscape, who really is looking to buy another over-the-air television product that isn't streaming-focused? Like, you're going to get ready to spend billions of dollars for something that is, you know, past its heyday. That's a tough sell. I don't know how great of a negotiator Bob, Bob Iger is, if he could pull that off, but I think that's tough. But judging by his comments, I really do think that ABC and FX, if he had his pick to put on the chopping block, to put uh, for sale, it would be those two and behind ESPN. But, you know, it's like if you're the GM of a, of a sports team, you know, you're the players you want to keep are the players other teams want. So I would say that the most likely thing I see here is maybe something like an FX could, could go to, to Fox if they're, if they're interested or, or, or another huge media company. Um, you know, in, in sports right now, the regional sports network space, Sinclair Broadcast Group is going in bankruptcy with their Bailey Sports Networks. Like, it's it's not a good place for, for linear television uh, right now. But I would just see this going towards either a gambling company or a tech giant, uh, an Amazon, uh, an Apple. I think the most likely portion would be that they they buy a small part of ESPN. I don't think that just given the, like you think of an, of an Amazon, they sell everything in the world to you. They have Thursday night football, all these other rights. I don't think that they necessarily need a huge stake in ESPN. They're, they're doing okay as it is, I would say. Uh, Same with Apple, A, a gambling provider, they probably don't have the same amount of money to spend actually as an Apple or an Amazon or another tech giant like a Google does to, to buy into ESPN. But that's just a, a great match. You, you, you would think there's some concern of does Disney want to be a brand that associates itself with a gambling provider? Just, just given they're kind of a family friendly, obviously try to be, they have their whole parks division and, make every kid's movie, you know? So there's that conflict, but just the world we're going in, gambling seems to be getting embraced more and more. So I don't think that would put a stop to it. They just brought in Pat McAfee, who came from FanDuel. There were talks with DraftKings. I I believe Disney does have a deal with DraftKings for ESPN. So yeah, I, I would look at those. That would be the most likely option uh, is a, a gambling provider or a tech giant buys into ESPN, a smaller stake, maybe 10%, I would say. Yeah, I don't doubt that the ESPN is the coveted piece of anybody's potential new addition to their portfolio, right? You did touch on the ABC and the, the FX thing. I don't know who's looking to buy a cable network like FX. I really don't because those numbers of viewership are just dwindling each year because people are just going to, you know, streaming platforms. Like you mentioned, we know they're cutting the cord back to digital television. You get that little digital box. I'm a cord cutter. So I have the digital box. I pick up all my local affiliates, but I also have my internet. So I have all my streaming platforms. The ones that I feel that I get in the best bang for my buck versus a generic cable subscription or uh, service. So 
I get that. FX does not seem like an entity you could just sell all by itself. It just doesn't seem like it's smart business. And if you do, you're essentially just offloading it for whatever you can get out of it, if that was to happen. ABC might still have some value. You're right. I don't know who's looking to buy a major broadcasting company, but ABC does have that over the airwaves on the digital box. And we see those numbers starting to kind of come back in some ways, which we, when we watch these games, it's still ABC is the king out of all of the networks that are broadcasting the XFL games. So ABC could have some, but I don't know. Like you're saying, I don't know if it's going to be worth what it was worth probably seven, 10 years ago. That's it's a significant shift. So you're going to take a hit there, but that might be the only thing that if you're going to offload a, a complete network that you could get some decent monetary to help you know, level your own right. books across the board of the Walt Disney companies, so to speak. So yeah, the, the ratings a- ABC gets for its sports like XFL, WNBA, NBA, they, they usually do pretty well in this landscape recently especially with like if, if disney has a, a marquee game to put on for the xfl or WNBA for nba it's usually on abc that gets the the higher viewership than espn so you know we can get into what all these networks could do to survive but it won't matter it's what disney's looking to do right now because of that exclusive partnership that broadcasting agreement that the league has with the Walt Disney companies. But as that starts to divvy up, that starts to kind of impact what the XFL could see in 2024 and beyond because four more years still after the agreement. So it could potentially be a massive hit for XFL fans. And we're always looking at everything they got, the times, the days that they're broadcasting and what days of the week, because it's all kind of a Petri dish, if you will. And, you know, as a football fan, but of a niche time of the year in smaller league, I think you kind of have to just, you have to just kind of roll with the punches, so to speak, because there's some punches that appear to be coming. And we thought we might get something better after approving a year. <laughs> so you might get better time slots or better days and stuff. Well, that may not necessarily be the case moving forward because we got to see how this all plays out. I mean, we got plenty of time before the season kicks off in February. I'm not saying something definitely happens before then, but discussions are definitely going to be had and it could very well happen. So, if that big shift happens, change is inevitable. One would assume that that transitioning of programming, streaming, it's probably going to happen sooner rather than later. Whatever that plan to transition could have been a five-year plan, could have been a three-year plan. Well, if we're looking to offload some of our networks and we're seeing whatever, seems like it could be a little bit more prevalent so it means that we could see more games on an espn plus thing now we had all of them that way before but it might just be exclusively that way or before it used to be on fx and espn plus on espn2 and espn plus abc and it might just come down to that the games are just strictly there so they're going to really start pushing and that's behind a paywall i mean now being a sports staff writer you've been following the business side of it for a while if this does become the reality, how do you see that uh, impacting a league like the XFL and its potential viewership? Should we potentially anticipate it being struggling that all these people like, you know, I wasn't looking to pick up that app because I was still watching it because I already had cable. Do you just think 
it might just the numbers might maintain. We're gonna see a dip because that could be tough for a year uh, year two when everyone's trying to actually start to get a better idea heading to year three because that's when you're supposed to be really profitable, right? You're supposed to try to get things figured out. Right. So, I mean, to advertisers, right? Potential sponsorships for the league. This they're going to keep an eye on all these type of things. How do you see that potentially playing out if it did force exclusively on streaming platforms? My assumption would be that the numbers would would drop if it was a uh, if they went straight to streaming and and, and caught out the ABC or the or the uh, cable games. That's just what what seems to happen. Um, you know, e- even though these media companies want to shift to to streaming, it's still uh, linear TV uh, that drives the most viewership. But they see those numbers dropping, and just ev- eventually, you know, the younger generation that doesn't have cable and doesn't have uh, linear television is going to be the sole market that they're looking for. So they're trying to get ahead of that total shift. But you know, y- you ha- you have to make streaming profitable at, at some point. And so you you do that by for, forcing people to buy it by not having the games on another option. So basically, things could get worse before it gets better. Is is the way that I would most likely see this. It's probably not just for entities of ESPN, ABC, whatever. Everyone's facing the same reality in some regard, right? It's yeah. not just impacting. The Walt Disney companies, it's anybody that's on television, on cable networks, anyone that's got stu- streaming platforms, they got to kind of figure this out. This isn't just going to be an easy transition any which way. And I could, I could potentially see the XFL being one of those entities that'd be like, okay, well, if we're going to start testing this, we're into it fairly inexpensive. We can't mess around with Monday Night Football from the National Football League on ESPN, right? You're not going to say, okay, we're going to shift that. You need that viewership. You need that solid advertising dollars to come in during those time slots. The XFL is not bringing in that type of thing, right? So I could see the XFL being that. But let's not, so I could see beating the TV XFL horse because I know it's probably not the most exciting thing. While I have you here, I think it's kind of important to get your take as a sports guy, as a member of the media. What are your thoughts on the latest iteration of the XFL? Like we had 2001 that was very unique in its own way that obviously did not work out. Uh, we had the iteration two come back in 2020, which seemed to be a pretty good product, but obviously the pandemic took it down. So here we're back, completely new ownership. So we're rolling these things out. What's your take on the league and uh, its prospects moving forward? I think it was a, a pretty good start to it. And, you know, the XFL has the leg up, it seems, over, over the USFL in terms of ratings right now. I think the championship game for the XFL outperformed the USFL. I've heard from a, from a source that I really trust and, and is, is in the spring football, in the football world, that he doesn't think there's room for two spring football leagues. So one way or another, just as someone I trust, I, I that I heard this from, I would expect eventually one spring football league to be operating. But you know, the the talent level was was good enough to watch, I would say, in in the XFL. You have some players go on to to make to NFL success, which is big. And they have The Rock, 
who is as recognizable as a person is in, in the world. They have a, a strong media partner in, in Disney that's, uh, even though they're going through these turbulent times, they're at, it was reported at 20 million per year broadcast deal, which is a lot for comparison's sake. The, the WNBA, I think, their deal with, with Disney is uh, right around that in that ballpark, maybe a little more, 25 million per year. But for a startup league like the XFL to, to already be in that neighborhood is a big commitment from, from Disney. And that's really the, the biggest impact I see of these um, sports media disruption from linear to streaming is that eventually these rights are, are not going to be able to keep going up. They're going to have to stagnate at some point. But what media companies are paying leagues, the numbers are sorry adding up to where they could keep going up. But uh, as far as the XFL goes, I would say that if I if I had to pick one or the other, that's maybe making its way out to survive the spring football landscape. I think it has the edge over the USFL. So, yeah. We know that it's not going to be an easy road, right? We've seen this. There's been not just the XFL of the past. We've had USFL back in the 80s. You've had World Football League. You've had the United Football League. I mean, there's just been so many spring or alternative leagues that it, they've had their, their challenges. Some might have been able to get to two in three years, but uh, it's just nothing's been able to latch on because yeah, football is an expensive endeavor. I mean, you're not talking about rosters of 10, 15 players. You're talking about active game day roster, 50, 51 players, and you have more right. than the coaching staffs are even larger than, you know, say basketball team staffs and whatnot. So it's an expensive endeavor. So they have plenty of hurdles ahead of them. It doesn't matter which league you are to make it. And, uh, you know, it just happens to be an odd time television wise which typically seems to be any league's bread and butter. If we can get that TV money, that guaranteed TV money, that gives us a good starting point and everything else we could bring in on top of that. So, I mean, we'll have to see how it plays out. But, no, I, I think it's important just to get your take. Um, you know, I wasn't really looking into the USFL, XFL divide because that, that exists. Believe me, anyone that's on social media knows that you're in one camp or the other. There's very few in between. They're trying to just enjoy as much football as they can. But, you know, you got these people that are trying to point at the flaws and the other and why their league. I guess we have stake because we follow, but it's kind of crazy how people have gotten <laughs> into that. But no, I, I appreciate yeah. your your insight and your thoughts on that because you know anyone just following sports in general, maybe they're not diehard into any of these leagues and they're just looking at it as far as sports entities. And that's how we really should be looking at it as fans is how are we stacking up? And I'm using we because now I'm got a show part you know that's dedicated to the xfl so i'm you know invested enough right. so but it'd be interesting and I, i'm always looking for you know somewhat insider but yet outsider because you're inside in sports but you're outside you're not really affiliated to either league so i appreciate that andrew i don't want to take up much of your time i know you're you're on vacation trying to spend some time with family so i appreciate your time to come on to the show to just discuss the the ongoing situation here with the Disney networks, whether it be ESPN, ABC, and FX, uh, as well as, you know, just the, the league in general. So um, it's been a pleasure. So thank you. Yeah, Michael, great, great talking to you. Great conversation. Wishing you the best and uh, hope to talk to you again sometime. Appreciate that. But before you go, if you could just take a moment and share with our listeners where they could find you and your work. Yeah. So you could, Check me out on frontofficesports.com and 
uh, follow our socials on Twitter and Instagram. And then on Twitter, I'm at, personally, I'm at Andrew underscore Cohen zero. Uh, that's my handle. And yeah, looking forward to sharing stories and keeping you guys posted on All Spring Football. All right, perfect. Thank you, Andrew. All right, take care, Mike. We were fortunate to coordinate a sit-down with Andrew to touch on his article and its likely impact on the XFL. Getting his insight and takes on the situation helps us get a better idea of what we could see prior to the 2024 XFL season. As I have also previously mentioned, we will now be joined by football podcaster Jersey the King to discuss his XFL interests and shows. Welcome, Jersey the King. I appreciate taking the time to come on to the show to discuss your shows and interest in the XFL. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. Like I said, before we uh, got on, your name is big and I followed you since the let's talk XFL title. And now getting a chance to meet you, it's just an honor to be here. So thank you for having me. You're welcome. And it is a pleasure. Likewise, believe it or not, I am committed to just connecting with people. And I think it's always interesting to get everyone's own point of view and why they do what they do and what inspired them. So that's a perfect segue. If you don't mind taking a moment and just share some of your background for our listeners so they have a better idea of who you are, why you're doing what you do. If you don't mind taking a moment, here's your soapbox. Get on up there and talk about yourself for a moment. Not a problem. Well, guys, um, I recently turned 37 back in June. Um, I've been a lover of football all of my life. I played back in peewee, middle school, high school. I didn't go to college for sports. I ended up getting injured, actually, and was unable to continue to play football. So I got into music because I've always been able to sing. Once I transitioned over to music, I've always wanted to get into like internet radio and podcasting and, and things of that nature. And that's kind of where it started for me. And as I got older, the music scene for me kind of just died out. You know, I became more of a family man and really wanting to just have a family, big old house and, you know, all that good stuff that comes with, you know, being a good father and husband. And that's the approach I started taking on my life, just making the best of every day and doing something that I know I can succeed in. Then I ended up getting hurt at work about two and a half years ago. And it started off as just a separated shoulder. Then it went from the separated shoulder. I actually pinched a nerve during my somewhat healing process. And that made the injury even worse. And then we go to where I am now, where I actually lost mobility in my left arm. So to keep me from falling into depression and, you know, having any type of, you know, mental breakdowns, my wife was like, why don't you just start streaming? She said, because at first I was able to really game a lot. So I started to game and then she's like, Hey, you and your brother, you guys game all the time and you're always talking and having different conversations. Why don't you just start streaming it? And turning it into a gaming podcast. And then that's how it got started. And then my love for football came 
back into play. And it's like, hey, I know all this information about sports. I've been following the XFL since 2001. It came back in 2020. And I'm like, I missed the chance back then to really get rolling in the podcast scene to represent, you know, a team and everything. And then Vegas, where I live currently, not having a team back in 2.0, it's like, who am I going to root for? You know what I mean? So honestly, in the 2.0 version back in 2020, I just truly, and I can say this wholeheartedly, I truly rooted for every team because it was more about the success of the league for me than it was, you know, rooting for one specific team, just for the simple fact that Vegas didn't have a team at the time. Now we fast forward to 3.0. I'm like, you know what? Now's the time I've been gaming. I've been streaming. I've been doing somewhat of gaming and podcasting at the same time by, you know, just talking and having different, different general conversations while I'm gaming with my friends. And I said, you know what? I want to be able to start doing it live. I want to have a live podcast show so that I have fans that can come on and interact and we can discuss football, debate football, the whole nine. And then that's where XFL 3.0 was revamping and like, oh, we're bringing back the XFL. And it's like, okay, now's the time. Now's the time for me to jump on it and start my podcasting and really get fluent with my knowledge again in football. And utilizing it to the best of my ability. And now I'm here, you know, being able to share my knowledge with you guys and just share who I am as an entertainer. You know what I mean? Because even if you're podcasting, it's still somewhat a form of entertainment. You know, you got to have that voice or that personality or whatever it may be to draw your viewers or listeners to come and watch or listen to you. So that's what I focus on now, podcasting. I do game still here and there, and I do do gaming streams still, but more so now it's podcasting. You know, more so it's about the Gridiron Podcast Show and the Fangang Nation Show and just trying to grow those brands to a level of success that I never thought I could see. You know, and I'm my ultimate goal, honestly, with all of this is to eventually work for the XFL and ESPN. That would be something. That's just a little bit of me. It would be something to bridge a passion continually, just on a larger scale. You know, and you know what? Sky's the limit for anybody. Don't give up on that that ambition, that dream. So if that can happen, you know, best of luck to you. Right. So you have shared that you have several shows, you know, numerous football shows. You know, yes. Bang Gang, Nation, The Gridiron. You did an XFL now for a little while. You had that going. Uh, well, I the think. XFL now videos, those are just, I was just doing weekly videos, you know, just content, basically creating content of just weekly information. What I would, what I wanted to do, and it was kind of hard with my injury and just the situation I was going through as far as constantly being pain, which I still am going through. But that time frame, I wanted to do weekly videos recapping each week. And I just wasn't able to do it at the time. So the week, the videos that I did post, I did get the, you know, the, the content that I wanted, but it was basically spaced out. I did a video for what I think could be a possible expansion for the XFL in the future. And I made sure I iterated that because, and I tell people, please 
don't bash me for what I'm saying. This is just an hypothesis. You know, it's just a theoretical video that I'm putting out and how I feel that the league could and should expand. And that video alone is almost at a thousand views on YouTube. So next season, I will be doing weekly XFL now videos, recapping each week and going over the games in full and things of that nature. So that's the thing about XFL. Now it's not so much a show. It's just a video series that I'll be putting out for creating content as far as the XFL goes. Well, I just think it's important to share not everything you're doing because you have even more going up. Say anyone wants to check out your YouTube page, they can see even more. But you have been doing football stuff, not just one yes. or two versions of it, multiple ways of getting out there. You even have the USFL now. Plug, you know, the other league. It's fine. You know, it's not always about competition. It's about having football all year round. Okay. Yes, people are going to exactly. have their biases or interests in one way or the other. That's fine. Okay. No, no, but you are doing more of it. So if somebody's looking for that type of stuff, you're doing a plethora of things. So I just thought it was important to kind of to bring that up. So what exactly in your interest of football drew you to the XFL itself? Now, I know you mentioned in 2001 you were interested in the league and you missed out in 2020 having a team so you just supported the entire league but now here in 2023 the third iteration you have the vipers this time around but what about the xfl because if you think about the usfl is out there right there are a plethora of leagues now in this space the canadian football league is going on right now the elf is going on right now there are a number of indoor or arena leagues Yeah, even the the official IFL, if a lot of you guys don't know, that is the official minor league of the XFL. So if you want to get to know about the IFL and players that may possibly be moving up to XFL teams in the future, definitely check out the IFL, the Indoor Football League. Well, right. And we know they have their partnership and that the IFL is going to be putting together a combine for IFL to XFL players. So you have to be, it's very exclusive. So we know that it's happened here in August, early August, I believe August 4th, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. August 4th, I believe. Yes, August 4th. Things going on. And it's great, right? There's a number of things. But So what gravitated you to the XFL? Well, back in 2001, when the XFL originally started, I was still in high school. And I'm a huge wrestling fan, huge WWE fan as well. And hearing that Vince McMahon was starting a football league and it was going to be different from your conventional NFL game, my interest automatically. Because as a student in school, a student athlete in school, seeing this league come out of nowhere and knowing that, hey, if this league sticks around, if I don't make it to the NFL, I can go play in a league like this. So my interest for the league immediately came from my love of the WWE, my love for football, and the fact that Vince McMahon was trying to do something that no other person in his genre, sports entertainment, has done. And don't get me wrong, it did fail because of all the gimmicks and everything to that nature. But my love for the game itself the xfl game the rule changes the sky cam the just all the innovations that 1.0 brought us i just 
couldn't get enough of. And it was heartbreaking when the first season turned out to be a failure and we knew we weren't getting a second season. It was a heartbreak. And I vowed that if the XFL came back, I would always support it. And it's just every time it's been here, I've always supported the XFL. And now I feel that I can be a part of helping this league stick around for years to come by broadcasting and and video casting about the league, about the Vegas Vipers, any other team, just the league itself in general. Now I can help draw those fans back, get that trust back that the XFL lost because of the two failures in the previous renditions, you know? So just knowing that I could be a part of something big and it could help put me where I want to be, which like I said, is eventually working for the XFL and or ESPN. You know what I mean? So it's just that that love for the original 1.0 is always going to drive me to help 3.0 be a success. You mentioned that you committed yourself. Maybe just stand on top of the mountaintops to declare it to the world, but you were committed to doing <laughs> something, right? If the league came yes. back, well, it did come back. And you are true to your word to yourself because the gridiron, yeah, your weekly shows X fell now, and you have recently launched the Fang Gang Nation show, your newest endeavor, right? Your newest endeavor. So yes. seeing that you've only dropped a few episodes, literally two, can you share with everyone the premise behind this show? and what you hope to accomplish with it in the future. Well, honestly, when I brought out the gridiron, it was to cover all about football, whether it be the XFL, USFL, NCAA football, NFL. I'm not a hundred percent familiar with the CFL. I have to do, you know, more research on the CFL, how the game is played out there and then, and just the league itself. But when it came to, you know, American football, I said, Hey, Let me do a show that I can reach all football lovers. Then I met Arlington and Jason and A-Train and Dirty from the X-Fan show. And I seen that they had what they call the X-Fan Legion to where it's basically a bunch of different supporters of all the different teams in the XFL. And I seen that there wasn't a, a podcast show out for the Vegas Vipers. And I'm like, well, I live here. I already covered the XFL. I'm an XFL lover. I want the team to succeed and stick around in the city of Las Vegas. And I said, this is what I'm going to do. Since now I'm being invited to the X-Fan Legion, let me come out with a show for the Vipers. Let's come out with a show for the Fan Gang. Now the nation can have somewhere to come and Get all their feelings out, get all their knowledge about the team, all their news about the team, and just everything about the Vegas Vipers and the Vegas Vipers fan base. And that's really what the premise of the show came from, to represent the Vegas Vipers and represent how strong this fan base could be. And ultimately, what I want this show to become is basically a platform to where the local citizens of Las Vegas who aren't 100% familiar with 
the XFL or the Vegas Vipers or don't fully trust supporting the XFL and the Vegas Vipers. I want this show to ultimately be basically a driving point. I want people to be able to take this show and say, you know what? This guy knows what he's talking about. This guy's showing a lot of love to this team. He's supporting the heck out of this team. He's doing everything he can to drive fans to attend the games and fill up Cashman. Let me go check out this XFL team. Let me go support. Let me go see what it's all about. And the next thing you know, if what I want this show to do and, and what I want to come out of the show happens, I'm going to generate fans specifically to attend games and support the XFL. And I want, like I said, I want to be a part of rebuilding the XFL and helping the XFL stay around for years and years to come. That's what this show is supposed to be all about and where I want it to end up. Awesome. Sounds great. Well, let's shift focus now towards the Vegas Vipers, right? You're covering the league. Let's talk about the team. You just created a whole show based off the team. So despite (laughs) high expectations, the Vipers finished the 2023 season with a two and eight record. The team has made several significant changes since its inception. Traded yeah. away quarterback Luis Perez for essentially nothing, right? They they got a player, but they end up releasing the yeah. player. Now, we won't get into the player. And he ultimately went right back to the, the same team. Yep, they released him, and he went yep. right back to the <laughs> Renegades. Okay. So, essentially for nothing. Made a change of offensive coordinator, and they parted ways with head coach Rod Woodson. Looking at this, how have these significant changes been perceived within the Vipers fan base? And is there a sense of optimism for 2024? Well, to be honest with you, a lot of the changes that were made were definitely needed. Um, I feel that Rod Woodson wasn't the best coach for this situation. I feel that he should have went to let's say a college or high school and try to get some real coaching experience first before taking on a head coaching job. You know, I feel that it's not always a good decision to take a player or a former player who has never coached or doesn't have much coaching experience and just stick them right in a head coaching position. I just don't feel that it was a good move for the Vipers. Yes. It may have been a good look for the league, Hey, Rod Woodson's coaching a team in the XFL. Rod Woodson fans are going to go watch that team, support that team. They're going to support Rod Woodson. But I just feel he wasn't the right coach for the job. You know, he's not ready to be a head coach. (laughs) I would call him crybaby Woodson every week. And I just feel I'm adamant about it because the decisions that he made last season caused us to not be able to finish out the game in second halves when we're going into halftime with a lead, a lot of the decisions he made caused us to ultimately see our demise at the end of the game with a loss and the Luis Perez trade. It was good for Luis Perez. I'll put it that way. It was good for Luis Perez because Rod Woodson was not the coach for him. That offensive coordinator was not the OC for him. And it clearly showed by putting him in a Bob Stoops situation 
and he takes a forward and six team to the XFL championship game and win. So with the changes that have been made from the, what I'm receiving so far from the XFL league fan base as a whole, and especially the Vipers nation, we're excited for Anthony Blevins. We are very, very excited for Anthony Blevins. I'm personally excited for Anthony Blevins because I feel that Anthony Blevins bringing all 20, almost 20 plus years of coaching experience from high school, college to the NFL to the XFL is going to change the landscape and the culture of the Viper team. Last year, we had about 17 players that played a snap or a full game or a partial season in the NFL that were former. We had over 17 former NFL players on that roster. And on paper, we had the best roster, but we did not have the best coaching staff. Now with this new coaching staff, now with Anthony Blevins bringing in a presence to where whatever he's selling in that locker room, those players can buy into because he has the NFL experience. I really feel he's going to bring in that Brian Dayball type of offense. And you see what Brian Dayball did, not to go off the subject, but you see what Brian Dayball did with the New York Giants and turned them around, got them to the playoffs with his style of coaching. Anthony Blevins has had at least, what, one or two years under Dayball. So now you bring that into the XFL. You take this team who has a lot of NFL experienced players on it. Now you have a whole group of guys in a locker room that's buying and selling what each other is buying and selling. You know what I mean? So I just feel that you guys better watch out. The Vegas Vipers are attacking next season. The fan gang will be in the playoffs and possibly the XFL championship. Mark my words. And I'm calling it Anthony Blevins will be up for coach of the year. You definitely just ran away with it. <laughs> not, a, not a bad thing. I was going to get the, the Dr. Blevins here in a little bit, but you just, you totally ran, ran away with it. So I'm going to, well, I'm going to scale it back here a little bit. We we can continue to talk about Dr. Blevins here in a little bit. You know, when I, he's a he's, he has so much experience that he's bringing. Right. Okay. Yeah. So let's we'll get into that a little bit because you did mention okay. what I wanted to kind of touch base here on a little bit. Compared to most of the league's teams, the Vipers had star power. Exactly. Mart- you know, just just to name a few: Martavius Bryant, Vic Beasley, Brett Hundley. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. there's more, but I mean, like let's, let's not sit here and you know, list off the whole team. Right. Right? right. There's not no reason to it. And I'm gonna be honest: before the season started, I was blessed with the opportunity to go on ESPN radio's Tom Abraham show. And I was asked who I thought the best teams were. And I picked the renegades without Luis Perez and the Vegas Vipers. Now, obviously the Vegas Vipers didn't do too hot. The renegades didn't look too hot, but they ended up winning the championship. So they were a better team for whatever reason, the quarterback play. And it took literally Luis Perez to come in in his mindset, his uh, positive yeah. thinking and whatnot to change it. And that leadership. But it tells you that was also another veteran team if you looked at the roster that was built a certain way. So exactly, it does come down to looking at this star power. 
Do you foresee more changes on the horizon or a few fundamental tweaks that was to this, what was perceived to be a solid squad? I mean, it, it may have just been coaching with Woodson and the OC, and there might have been, you know, some fundamental problems there. Is it maybe minor tweaks? Do you see more significant changes coming on the horizon? I mean, I'm not saying you're in the know because you do have a new show, but whatever, but you are in Vegas and maybe the local media is covering some rumors or something that's going on. I'm just kind of curious as to what you're anticipating or what you're hearing as to what more we could be seeing happening in Vegas before 2024 kicks off. I know for sure that there are going to be a couple more roster changes and that's only because of a new coach. We have a new coach. Some pieces aren't going to fit what he's trying to accomplish. Some pieces aren't going to fit in what he's trying to bring for this team. So there are going to be some roster changes. Do keep your eye out for that. I can say that there are going to be a few more roster changes, but as far as any more tweaks, let's say on the coaching end or even marketing in you know what i mean i'm not a hundred percent sure birdies are chirping but i can't be a hundred percent and say this is going to happen or that is going to happen but there may be a few more media changes as far as the media team and you know how the vipers are getting advertised and things of that nature they're really trying to hit the local scene a lot more i guess a lot of what we were saying in our different shows are starting to resonate with the league and with the new media guy that they have in there. That's the head of all media. I feel if, if a lot of people have noticed, we're getting a lot of XFL content being posted on YouTube and things. And it's not on just one team or, you know, one player it's on a collective, you know, everyone's getting advertised. So the Vegas Vipers as a team, they're starting to, from what I'm hearing, they're starting to do a little advertising locally. And like I said, there are going to be some tweaks made and some changes made on the roster for sure. But they're trying to get the marketing, the local advertising really expanded. And I think that's what the my show, the Finger Nation, is going to help do as well when it comes to the local, the local market. But they're looking from what I'm from what I'm hearing, they're looking to see about the shows like ours, you know, and fan base shows like, you know, the shows that are part of the X the X Fan Legion. And they're going to start looking to social media a lot more to help grow the league, grow the fan base, bring the support for the team. Because a little over 6,000 averaging was kind of kind of bad in attendance record last year. So they're definitely attacking the, the market of bringing in more fans to the games. You know, they're trying to get Cashman sold out. That's one thing that they've been rattling on about. And I feel that they just have to, you know, come and bring the team out here, let the guys hold some type of community fundraiser or event and things like that. And let the people of the city of Las Vegas actually get to know these players, you know, so they're trying to do a lot of different things from what I'm hearing. I'm actually going to do a lot more digging and talk to a lot of more resources that I've started to make connections with. So I can get a little bit more information and I'll keep you up to date and, you know, I'll be able to forward you as much as I can. 
But like I said, from what I'm hearing now, there will be some more roster changes. Anthony Blevins is going to come in. He's going to make some roster changes because of what scheme he's trying to have for this team and different game plans on a weekly basis. Some of the players just aren't going to fit. So some changes are going to be made, need to be made for the roster. You know, we are aware that the marketing wasn't quite what a lot of people expected, right? What we have right. seen from other leagues, whether other iterations of the XFL previously, the USFL, the way that they market, we didn't see it. So, I mean, this next comment isn't necessarily, or question isn't going to be tied to marketing. Because the XFL did put their money where their mouth was, or is, and continue to provide opportunities to minority coaches. Right? Yes. In 2023, half of its head coaches were minorities. And with the lone vacancy this offseason, when they replaced Coach Woodson, they did so with Dr. Blevins to retain that same balance. Mm-hmm. This is obviously important. We keep talking about the ecosystem of football. And we see where the NFL talks a good game about giving those opportunities to minority coaches, (laughs) but they haven't quite delivered on it. So this, we know it's an important thing. It's discussed over and over again. And we see that it's a 50, 50 split here in the XFL and they continue that, right? Unless some other changes are made here, you know, in the future, that's what it's going to be going into 2024. So, to you, in knowing that the ecosystem is desperately needs this, can you share how significant this 50-50 split actually is? Well, it's huge. It's huge. It just shows that the motto, the League of Opportunity, is really what it is. Not only do you have the diversity of XFL head coaches, you have the diversity of just linebacker coaches, defensive coaches, you know, just different coaches in general. The coaching staff is diverse. You know, the the referees are diverse as well as women. So it's very, very significant for the league can, to continue to have this diversity because they will live up to their motto, the league of opportunity. They're giving everyone an opportunity, not just a specific race or a specific sex they're giving everyone an opportunity man or woman no matter your ethnicity your creed your color your race your background none of that they're giving everyone an opportunity and the more they do that the better off this league is going to be because i was so surprised to see that change i was and then again i wasn't i was happy because it's like okay we're getting to see more minority coaches get a head coaching opportunity. And now NFL teams will start looking at these coaches and they'll say, Hey, these guys can coach their butts off. Let's give them a chance. You know what I mean? And like you said, the NFL has not been delivering. And I think with, the XFL doing it and doing it more and more, it's going to force the NFL to start delivering on their quote-unquote promise. 
So it's it's really, really significant for them to continue doing this and continue having the diversity on all levels from players to coaches to the coaching staff to, hey, even the, if you look at all the owners, it's diverse. You know what I mean? And I, I really feel that it's going to keep the league around for a long time and help make that change that the NFL so desperately needs. When I looked at the head coaches that they brought in for 2023, I mean, we saw a 50-50 split a couple different ways. Diversity, Mm -hmm. we saw it with experience and non-experience rookie (laughs) head coaches. Yes. (laughs) Which way? And, you know, aside from Coach Beck, most of of the rookie head coaches didn't have good seasons. Now, there's a number of factors, right? We can look at San Antonio, a lot of injuries, and injuries. we had a little bit of dysfunction in Orlando, you know, with the quarterback situation and, you know, the, the yeah, playbook. Because Orlando was a good team. And, Orlando was a good team. But they ended up becoming competitive, right? Because so, with saying, Dormady, it showed at the end of the season, you know what I mean? And it, and it showed that. Victories. <laughs> exactly. But it showed that next season, there'll be a team to, to look at. And it showed that at Terrell Buckley, I believe it just shows that he grew as a coach as well. So I guess what I'm trying to get into here a little bit is that not just, you know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things, but when we see the rookies of head coaches, they brought in for 2023, there were some cases with some glaring holes in their resume as coaches. Coach Buckley actually had a lot of coaching experience in the collegiate level and whatnot. So I right. wouldn't falter that, right? But when you looked at some of the other guys, like Woodson, you talked about just who kind of lacked something. I even kind of like, I mean, no, it's great that we're giving minorities chances, right? And, and getting them in these positions, because this is what it's going to take. But I feel like they finally corrected some of their own shortcoming now with actually replacing Woodson with Dr. Blevins, who has an actual resume. So this is where it kind of I went into. Extensive resume. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he has coached at every level, whether people realize high school, right. college, the National Football League. And it's not like one year in each. Like, or you know, mm-hmm. if you look at it, he's had a pretty extensive coaching resume. And when you read all these articles that have been out there, the people that are, are shocked that he didn't get more opportunities, right? Well, the XFL, right. I feel like, corrected that. Well, it's one thing to give a rookie head coach. Everyone's going to have to start out someplace. But give it to the mm-hmm. people that kind of, have, have had their skin in the game, not just as a player or, you know, doing some of these, um, I, I call them internships or whatever these, uh, these special programs that each team has, they bring in, you know, minority coaches, but they don't always get in to a certain particular position coach and whatnot. And I feel like right. that is what was lacking for Woodson. He just needed one or two other positions before he could really become a head coach, which it was really obvious on the sideline. There was a lot of dysfunction there. Right. Yeah. He thought when he said we're going to go for it, he had a certain understanding of what go for it meant. And his offensive coordinator called something completely different. I don't know if people recall exactly some of the games and some of the situations where he loses his mind because he's like, I thought we were going to do <laughs> yeah. this. Well, you're the head coach. That needs to be clear from you to your mm-hmm. OC. That's not you, you thought that clearly what he thought or what he intended didn't always get translated in really rubber stamped perfect to be like, this right. is exactly what we're doing. No, so to speak. So now Dr. Blevins is in. 
right? He's in the league. Finally, the main man. And being appointed the Vipers head coach for a squad that finished bottom of the North Division, right? Two and eight. Mm. And we know there was a significant gap there. Yes, everyone thought going into championship game that the defender was going to win it. Obviously, they didn't win the championship. But right. right there, we had that last minute trying to figure out all the point systems and you know, or scoring and how it was going to be between the Sea Dragons and the Battle Hawks making the playoffs. So there was a significant gap. And you had talked about changes are coming, right? Whether well, it's going to be some personnel. We have to assume most coaches come in and they're going to start looking for some of their own guys, right? To fill some positions within the coaching staff. So we'd have to assume changes are coming with that tweak of the roster, (laughs) with that tweak of the coaching staff. I mean, how, I mean, we talk about optimistic, but how optimistic are you really? Cause you said they're going to make the playoffs. Like, is it going to be like, they're making such a leap. Are you anticipating other teams? Because we know the NFL is at play here. Players are going, to, if they have a chance, go to the NFL. And if they right. get in the camp, right, and they sign a contract, but they still get cut before the 53-man rosters solidify before week one of the NFL season, well, that opens up them to go anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. They can move around to the USFL. Heck, if the CFL comes calling to lock somebody and they can start doing that. So there's going to be changes across the board, but you're essentially guaranteeing a playoff spot. Are you thinking it's going to be a little bit closer? Like, is it, or is it going to yes. be they're going to leapfrog and somebody's going to make a significant drop? I'm just curious, how are you seeing this picture playing out? I see the okay. The reason why I'm so confident is my, my one major fact is. Seattle doesn't have a quarterback. So automatically I'm putting them in the bottom tier of the North because Danucci kept them in a lot of those games. Even if he was the turnover machine of the entire league, <laughs> I still feel that Ben Danucci was a key part of the success that Seattle did have last year. I feel it's going to be a three-way battle between Vegas, DC, and St. Louis when it comes to the first and second spot in the playoffs. But I think essentially it's going to be out of Vegas and DC or St. Louis in the North Division Championship. I just don't see Seattle having enough and and I can't say I'm and I'm just predicting now, but if Seattle doesn't get a decent quarterback, a good enough quarterback to utilize all those weapons, I just don't see them having a great season. If St. Louis has another season the way they did last season and can't finish certain games, that's going to be affected. The only team I'm really worried about is DC. That's it. I mean, I mean. The changes that are going to be made, the players that may get brought in, some may send away. <laughs> However, the roster is going to look. I still think we have we will have a good enough team with a coach with that that extensive of a resume. I just feel that it's going to be a huge turnaround when it comes to the record 
but I still think it's going to be a tough road to get to the playoffs, but ultimately we do. Quarterback is important. I can't say that you're wrong because quarterback, we know all these leagues are quarterback driven, right? Mm -hmm. And quarterbacks can make receivers, make the receivers look really good. Yes. But sometimes it takes an amazing receiver that has a little bit more ability to cover more ground to make. And I'm not trying to say Danucci's mediocre. So people, please don't, don't try to paint the picture a little bit different than what I'm saying. What I'm just saying is sometimes a Josh Gordon can make somebody look really good. Yeah. Core Pearson had an amazing season. Now the question comes he down made. to is question comes out to us. Did Danucci make Jacor Pearson look that good? Or is Jacor Pearson just that good? And the question also comes down to, you can keep piling up questions here. Did Josh Gordon become such a focal point of every defense matching up against him that it essentially opened up a guy like Jacor Pearson? Because if that opened up Jacor Pearson, Jacor Pearson had opportunity, not of his own accord, potentially. And that doesn't mean that Danucci had, you know, was given more opportunity and easier to find somebody else, right? So, I mean, what if, could have, should have, whatever, what ifs, right? What is it, you know, right. and to find it, just dissect it. So the thing is, did Danucci really make that receiving core look that great? Was it something else where these guys all of a certain status? Go? We're going to find out if Jacor Pearson latches to the national football team, like for the season. And if he's not back, right? If he latches on, if Josh Gordon somehow even latches on as a practice squad player, which we've known he's been able to do anyway, and somehow he does right. decide not to come back. Well, that can change the options anyway. So yes, there's a million, but this could happen to any team, any team out there. Yeah, you're absolutely right. See, Butler just signed with the, the Steelers. So he likely is not going to be back for the Battle Hawks, right? We can go down the mm-hmm. line of whoever. So Sal Canelo. <laughs> everything's wide open. I mean, when you look at it that way, because there's no guarantees of who is back. So, right. I mean, you're probably not completely wrong. It's just tough to think that, man, all they got to get is somebody capable. And if they have those receivers back, that seems like a far drop. But, hey, it is kind of a crapshoot to predict things this far out, not seeing who's going to the National Football League, who's staying put. You know, even if they go to the National Football League and then they somehow sign something, they get released. Well, now technically they're a true free agent. They go to the USFL anywhere. So there's that kind of opens up a whole new bag of issues for the league. So, yes, it's really too early to tell. But I'm just kind of curious what you were seeing. And I'm I'm not saying you're wrong because quarterback is pretty important. So Danucci, yeah, if he gets released, decides to come back and he's back in that spot and he still has the receivers, Mm -hmm. then, you know, Maybe he liked it in Seattle. I don't know. There's a little bit of, you know, things on the sideline we saw between Hazlitt and Danucci anyway that it kind of didn't seem that way. But, and we all know Junes Jones is dealing with what he's dealing with, uh, with his his arrest. And yes, he he was out on bail and we don't know. The league hasn't really commented on that. So there could be a whole slew of changes happening up there or any other team, like I said. So, I mean, not to really focus on them. Exactly. So, yeah, no, it's interesting because I guess anybody's got a chance. And if, if they don't make wholesale changes in Vegas, and McClendon did look good. He looked good. A young quarterback, if he stays in and kind of got his rookiness out of him, right, so to speak, and now here he is ready to rock and roll, and they're really ready to hand over the keys to the offense, and that builds confidence and more chemistry with whatever players they have, then, yeah, that could be great. You know, it's not 
going from third string to looking pretty solid in my opinion. So yeah, I think you guys have a bright future with him at the helm. If as long as he returns, it doesn't take much for an NFL team to start looking for quarterbacks and still bring him in. It's not right. too late. It just seems like time's running out if it's going to happen, but anything's possible. McClendon is, is really a key. McClendon is really a key. That's, that's who I feel is going to really make or break our playoff chances. You know, he, like you said, at the end of the season last year, he was looking really, really good. So I feel if he takes that into the next season, Martavis Bryant comes in and actually plays. Jeff Bedette continues to play like he did. If Geronimo Allen, Allison comes back and he plays even better than what he did, I feel our receiving core alone with our running backs and Jalen McClendon playing at a high level every game. I've, I'm confident in our team, especially with that defense. I'm confident in our team. <laughs> well, for your sake and the fan gang nation out there, I hope I hope you're right. I, ho- I hope that's how it works out for you guys. And, you know, me being a, a Guardian season ticket holder, I hope we are able to. But I think our division looked a little bit more open. So anything's possible, I, I guess, there. But again, Yeah, I, I'm actually predicting the Guardians to have a turnaround season. Again, we can get into dissecting each of the teams, but it's also still too early, really good. But I, I think Coach Buckley, it was a big learning year for him. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah. you know, getting that season, I think he dealt with situa- a situation that none of the other teams did, especially as a rookie head coach. Dormady and the report, and obviously Dormady was vindicated. And ultimately, I think that was spoke volumes of the person that Buckley is and the rest of the coaching staff. They actually did turn the keys of the offense over to him after essentially assuming he was a guilty man and somebody that was going to be toxic to be in the, you know, in the team. So that's why they ultimately cut him. And I'm glad the league did do its due diligence and really looked into the matter and resolved it. And then I'm glad again, Dormady got a chance to play because man, he looked good. And yes, th- that did. team did look different with him in there. So, I mean, again, opportunity and it, for whoever mm-hmm. these teams are. So anything could happen next season. I, you know, could talk football with you all night, but I, I did tell you there would be a time frame. So I always try to be no problem. You know, closer to my, <laughs> my <laughs> promises or, or, or what I you know claim. So, you know, I appreciate you taking the time. You know, it's been a pleasure you know, to have you on the show and just to discuss your interest in the XFL, your shows, your thoughts on the Vegas Vipers and, you know, a little bit more. So, no, I appreciate it. So thank you. Thank you for having me um, again. It was a pleasure being here, being able to share my story of how I got to where I am now and where I look to be going. And just to be able to come onto your show and get a chance to talk to your audience and get to know them a little better and have them get to know me. And again, it's just an honor to, to be on here because like I said, I've, I've known about this show since it was let's talk XFL. So it's definitely an honor and a pleasure. And again, I thank you for having me on here. Likewise. It really is. I love connecting with people and just getting to know people in the community and finding out, you know, I have my viewpoints of how to cover things, but it's also interesting to see how other people approach it and why they do what they do. And uh, because we're all different. And like we have said previously, different strokes for different folks. And I think it's a benefit to have us all involved in the community and it brings more people into the game and the league to support it. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm grateful to have you. So in an effort to keep sharing 
and why don't we kind of get you out there a little bit? Why don't you let our listeners know what platforms you're on, how they can find you on the platform so that they could either check out your work, follow you, and whatnot to kind of stay in tune with what's going on in Vegas. Okay. Um, You can follow me on Facebook at Jersey the King. That's J-E-R-Z-E-Y-T-H-A-K-I-N-G. Also, you can follow me at Twitter at RoyaltyGamers underscore P. I do have a um, gaming company called Royalty Gamers and Podcast. So definitely follow me on Twitter and Facebook. You can also follow me on Instagram at Jersey the King as well. Um, follow the Gridiron Podcast show on YouTube and subscribe. You can subscribe to Jersey the King on YouTube. But the, the Gridiron Podcast show is where I'll be moving majority of my uh, football content aside from the Fangang Nation show, more than likely it'll be getting its own channel. So definitely just everything is basically at Jersey the King, at Royalty Gamers underscore P, or at the Gridiron Podcast. And that's the with the A Gridiron Podcast. Perfect. Thank you, Jersey the King. Thank you again, Michael, for having me. I greatly appreciate it, man. You're welcome. I enjoy connecting with fellow media personalities within the alternative football community, even more so within the XFL community. As I have mentioned on multiple occasions, it is important to embrace our grassroots media. Without each of these outlets, it would become extremely difficult for fans to find XFL news. It has been an honor to have Jersey the King on the show to discuss the Vegas Vipers and League. Unfortunately, we do not have any fan line messages this week. If you have an XFL-related comment, question, or hot take and would like it to be heard on the show, reach out to the fan line by calling 863-TALK-XFL or 863-825-5935. Doing so, your message could be included in an upcoming episode. All good things must come to an end. This concludes another episode of Player 54 Podcast. As always, I am interested in receiving your feedback, so do not be a stranger. Reach out to let me know your thoughts, and if you do so, your comments might just make it on the show. But before you go, do not forget to subscribe and rate the show on your platform or choice. One last thing. If you are interested in checking out our friends over at True Victory, do not forget to click on the link in the show's description and notes, as well as that sweet code, PLAYER54, for 15% off your purchase. Thank you for tuning in. Till next time, cheers. Thank you for tuning into today's show. Don't forget to subscribe and rate Player 54 Podcast on your platform of choice. You can follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Player 54 Podcast. Do you have a question or topic you would like to have addressed on the show? Message the show via social media or send an email to player54podcast at gmail.com.